I was going through my, my books this week, and I came across a book I hadn't seen for a long time. I read it a long time ago, and I picked it up again, and I thought, wow, this is a really good book. So uh, I thought I'd speak about the message in this book. It reminded me of something Sue said to me, the third of the girls here. She says, there are no more books. You have to read what you have before you get new ones. I was tempted to think, well, this is the same true of shoes for a woman? <laughs> oh, so am. Yeah. So anyway, I saw this book again, and I thought, wow, this, it's, a great, uh, it's a great story, and I'm going to bring it to you again. And I... I, I all right. Uh, I missed it. I missed it. Uh, this is written by Rabbi Kushner. This is uh, in the Jewish tradition of interpreting the stories of the Old Testament. Uh, five different traditions of interpretation of a very famous story in the Old Testament. The story in the dream of Jacob and his dream, Jacob's Ladder. And uh, Rabbi Kushner begins with a story of giving a tour of his synagogue. There was a preschool next door to the synagogue and they had the kids come through and the teacher was there and the rabbi was telling them about all the stuff in the synagogue and he was saving the best for last. He was saving up front, behind the curtain, where the, uh, there was a big, huge curtain, and he was going to tell them uh, what was behind there. It was the sacred scrolls and the, and the artifacts. And uh, he hadn't gotten to it yet, because that was the grand crescendo of his tour. And uh, he was peppering the kids, what do you think is behind the curtain, up behind the altar? And right as he was about to show them, uh, one of the aides came in and said, uh, the parents are here, it's time for the kids to come home. And the kids couldn't see what was behind the curtain. And so the next day, the preschool teacher came to the rabbi and said, well, it's the talk of the town. Every, all these kids are trying to figure out what's behind the curtain. Everybody's figure, you know, got answer. What's one of the little kids said? I know what's behind the curtain. Nothing. When the rabbi opens the curtain, nothing's going to be behind there. It's going to be blank. No, 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 no. They said another kid. When the rabbi opens the curtain up, you see, he was watching daytime television. When the rabbi opens up the curtain, it's going to be a brand new shining car. <laughs> And then another one said, no, 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 you're all wrong. When the rabbi opens up the curtain, what's going to be there is a mirror. It's a mirror. It's a brand, it's going to be a big, huge mirror. And we're going to see a reflection of ourselves. When the rabbi opens up the curtain, we will see ourselves. And that little boy wasn't far from the truth because... What was behind the curtain were the sacred scrolls. And when we open up the sacred scrolls, we are meant to see in the stories of the scripture a reflection of ourselves. Because the stories of scripture are our stories. They're about us. So when we read about the heroes of the villain or the villains, we're meant to see ourselves. 
And so we are going to consider the story today, as we open up the scripture, a reflection of ourselves. And we join them in Genesis chapter 27, and we see the story of a family, not so much unlike our families. We tend to think, all the stories of the great heroes in the Bible, everything's fine and dandy like sugar candy. Everything is just beautiful and wonderful. But the families there, like the families here, are a mixed multitude. Uh, There's some trouble in River City in this family. In fact, things are going so bad, we read in Genesis 41 about one brother saying about another. He is so lividly angry, not just mad, he is hot anger. He is ready to explode. He says Esau about his brother, I am going to kill my brother. This is premeditated. He's planning it out. This is not a, a, a crime of, of uh, passion. He is, now I'm one of six boys. I have five older brothers, and I know what it's like when my big brothers are mad at me. I was very good at running away and hiding when they got really mad at me because I know the wrath of a brother. But this is upped a little more. His brother, his twin brother, is so mad at him, he is ready to kill him. He is ready to kill him. Why is he ready to kill him? That's what the story is about. Things were different back in those days. It has to do with the money. Have you ever heard the expression, follow the money? Well, the father of these two youngsters, who weren't so young anymore, they're in their 40s. The father, Isaac, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Isaac is an old man at this point. He is very old. In fact, he's got one and a half feet in the grave. He is ready to die, and he knows it. His eyes are so bad he can't see anymore. His thinking process is not clear. He is uh, diminished in his thought process. And he is ready to pronounce the inheritance or the blessing. See, the way we do it in these days, we make wills. There are lawyers there. There are legal documents. When someone is ready to die, it's very proper. And when it's signed, that's it. It's a done deal. Back then, it was different. It was more the word. They looked for the blessing. So the father's words would be pronounced upon the child. And the child that received the inheritance or the firstborn, the blessing, most everything fell to that child. Well, you've got twins that have been roughing each other up and fighting and, and, uh, and scrambling for first place all of their life. You remember, the Bible tells the story when these twins were first born, even from the time they were in the mother's womb. Esau came out first, and remember what it says about Jacob? He got a hold of his ankle and wanted to pull him back in because Jacob wanted to come out first, so he could be the preeminent one. This is when he's in the womb. And then, they're about 20 years old, You remember the other story about Esau coming back? He's famished, he's hungry, and Jacob's cooking up some nice stuff there, there. Smells delicious. Oh, wow, this smells so good. You're hungry, are you, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me some of that. No, I'm not going to give you. Come on, give me some of that. 
And he says, I'll give it to you, but you've got to give me something. Give me the inheritance, the promise of the inheritance. And in a foolish choice, he says, all right, you can have the inheritance. Just give me some of that mess of pottage. So here, again, at the end of the father's life, Jacob is still scheming for that inheritance. And uh, so what he did was, in collusion with mom, Rebecca, in collusion, because mom favored Jacob. That's a lesson of what not to do. We used to say to our kids, um, that, uh, you remember this, we love you the best, <laughs> best of all, would say to the oldest one, we love you best of all, and the others would say, hey, wait a minute, you can't say that, you love them best of all. And they would say, well, we love you best of all. Would say that to all of them, we love you best of all. You are, is that get it right, Sue? You're our favorite? They're all our favorites, so it's kind of like uh, among equals. But that mother did not do that. And uh, so they tricked this very old, senile, blind man into pronouncing the blessing upon Jacob. Now, the blessing was to be pronounced upon the firstborn, Esau, who went out hunting and was going to come back and fix everything up, and the blessing was going to pronounce. The mother heard of it. She cooked something up, and they dressed Jacob. And Jacob went in. And he pretended he was his brother. And the blessing was pronounced upon him. See, I don't understand that because, well, why doesn't he just undo it? But, I don't know, apparently back then, if the words were spoken, that was it. It was a done deal. The check was signed. It was cashed. The deal is accomplished. That's it. It's done. It's finished. So... The father, Isaac, thought he was pronouncing the blessing upon Esau. In fact, it was upon Jacob. So then, when Esau comes back and is ready to go in to get the blessing from his father, his father says, what do you mean? I just gave you the blessing. No, 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 you didn't give me the blessing. Well, who was it I gave the blessing? He realized he was tricked. And there is so much going on that he says... I'm going to kill that boy, but I'm going to wait till my father dies. My father's almost dead. As soon as my father dies, I'm going to go after my brother, and I'm going to take his life. And so it was, the mother says, uh-oh, <laughs> you're in trouble, son. you got to get out of Dodge. So she says, look, you need to get out of here because your brother's fury is such. He's going to take your life. And so we have the story in Genesis 28 about... Jacob taking off, he goes on a journey that is about 600 miles long. That's like walking from here to, how far is San Francisco? 500? That's a long walk. So he's going along the way. His first day he gets out, he's about 30 miles out. And uh, you know he must have gone in a rush because when he gets there, He's not taking Sweetwater Road. He's not taking Highway 54 because that's a well-traveled road. He's going way out there around Hamol, so no one's going to catch him. He's by himself. He is not wanting to be found because his brother's after him and he knows it. He is in trouble deep. And he finally gets the first night and he's there in this lonely place. He is feeling abandoned. He's feeling... Uh, wow. 
You ever finally stop and you begin to think? Our lives are so rushed, but he finally stopped and he began to think, boy, this has been some kind of day for me here. I mean, I've really got myself into it now. My brother's after me. He's thinking about home. His parents are fighting for sure because the father realized that the wife colluded with the son, so they're at odds. And he's at odds with his brother. It's a bad situation. And he's feeling lonely. He's out there in the wilderness. There's wild animals. He's feeling guilty. He's feeling like I've really messed up. And uh, he is... The stars are beginning to, uh, to come out. And he figures, all right, I'm ready to go to sleep. And he realized... You know he must have left it fast because he forgot his pillow. I asked Sue... You know, when you go to India, do you bring your pillow with you? She says, absolutely I do. And when I travel, I bring my pillow with me because there's nothing like your own pillow. You remember when Jacob got where he was going, you know what he used as a pillow? He used a rock. That's some kind of pillow, isn't it? So he is there in this place feeling abandoned, feeling like he's really messed up, like he's lied, which he has, he's cheated, he's defrauded, he's colluded, and he is dishonest. He is feeling far away from his family, far away from God. And in this place, he has one of the greatest revelations in all the Bible. He is given a dream from God, where God reveals himself to him in a powerful, powerful way. And uh, he goes to sleep and he wakes up after having had this dream in the morning. He wakes up and he thinks, oh, that was a pretty good rest. And then, have you ever woken up and thinking, I had a dream last night. I dreamt something. It was a good dream. It was a really good dream. What was it I dreamt? I can't remember. And then he remembers and he says, oh, I remember. It was a powerful dream. God was in this place. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I, I, I didn't know it. I was uh, sleeping. Um, I found this picture of this guy sleeping in church. Uh, it happens all the time. People sleep in church. I have slept in church. In fact, when we were members of La Mesa Church, my children were on cameras one time. And they, uh, and, uh, they were spanning around. They saw me there in a meditative state. <laughs> and in the afternoon, I got a call from someone in Colorado. I said, hey, we saw you on TV today. You were sleeping. <laughs> and I was looking to the kids. I don't think it was you, Sarah. It was probably Ben or Michael. They caught me snoozing in church, and it was on TV, and somebody saw it. So... Sometimes we miss it. We sleep through things when God is in the business of communicating himself and his ways to us. It's happened to all of us. Not only do we sleep in church, <laughs> sometimes. I told you the story of Brother Fink, the one-armed man. First church I was there, he would go to sleep every single week. I mean, I was straight out of seminary. In fact, I wasn't even through seminary. I got to be in a church for one year. And Brother Fink had one arm, and he was right over there every week. And uh, about five minutes into the sermon, he'd put his head back and he'd start snoring away, loud. So when I'd be up there pounding the pulpit, and Brother Fink would just kind of snort and go like that. 
And, and then, then it'd fall back, and I would shout out loud, and Brother Fink would go. So I went back to seminary, and this would happen every week. So I'd go back to seminary in homiletics class. I, I said, told the teacher about Brother Fink. I said, what about Brother Fink here now? Um, what should I do? He falls asleep every week, he says. The teacher says, here's what you should do. Next week, when you go to prepare for your sermon, start early, go in the closet, get down on your knees, and pray to the Lord, number one, for forgiveness, and number two, for a better sermon next week. (laughs) Surely the Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. And the implication is there, if I knew God was going to show up, I wouldn't have gone to sleep. If we knew God is going to be here, we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have missed it. We would have stayed up. It is, my, it is my belief that we often miss the Lord. We often daydream through it. It happens all the time in church, right now. Some of us are thinking about what we need to do later on. <laughs> And we're going to miss what God has. Or thinking about what happened last week or what we need to do you know, here and there. Just a few, why we miss God. We miss the Lord, opportunities that come to us. You remember the story of the burning bush? The rabbi says in this book, one of the miracles, one of the great miracles of the burning bush is that Moses stuck around long enough to realize that the bush was burning, but not being consumed. If you think about it, you have to, you see a fire, you think everything's burning, but you have to stick around for a while to realize that the wood is burning, but the wood isn't burning. You have to stick around to see it. So often, and that's part of the miracle, he stuck around long enough to see that there was a miracle going on. Our lives are so busy sometimes, we don't stick around. We're on to the next thing. Why? Because we got things to do. We got places to go, people to see. And we forget about being still and knowing that the Lord is God. Why do we miss the opportunities that come to us sometimes? Because we're in too much of a rush. Moses stopped. Jacob slept. He says, if I knew God was going to show up, I wouldn't have gone to sleep. I wouldn't have gone to sleep. Um not only in, in church or out in the wilderness, it is my belief that the Lord is... Our lives are pregnant with opportunities where God is attempting to communicate with us. But we are inattentive. We are focused on other things. <laughs> oh, there's a story of... Uh, we're so busy to get some... Remember the story of Dorothy? She just wanted to go somewhere over the rainbow where everything was beautiful. And she goes on this journey and she goes on the yellow brick road and follows it to Oz and has to go get the broomstick and everything. And finally she gets it and brings it after all that stuff. And she realizes, even though she went half over the rainbow to get what she wanted, it was closer than she realized. Sometimes we spend a lot of our life pursuing stuff and things that maybe we have already, but we don't realize it. Remember the click, 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 be it ever so home? There is no place like home. There is no place like home. No place like home. 
Um, there was this guy who visited a psychiatrist every single week. He had an appointment, a standing appointment. And after his appointment one week, it was an especially insightful appointment. He felt good. He was walking to his car, and he heard the strangest things from up on the top floor across the street. He heard screams coming from the top floor. These were blood-curdling screams, uh, screams that bespoke a, a, a yearning of the human spirit, a pain that was almost unbearable. So the next week he went to his psychiatrist. He says, when I went back to my car, I heard these screams. He says, you've never heard the screams before? You've been coming here for years? This is the first time you heard the screams? That's where they keep the screamers, on the top floor. The screams have been there all the time, but he never heard it. The communication of the Lord has been there all the time. We oftentimes don't hear it. Why? Because we're so busy to do something else. It's sort of like if we were to open up the roof and allow a beam of sunlight to come through. We would see things that are there, but we don't see them right now, but they are there. What would we see? We'd see particles of dust, thousands and millions of them. They're there right now, but we can't see them, but they're there, aren't they? We're there. We miss things all along. God was in this place. And I didn't know it. Um, um, Another reason why we sometimes miss opportunities that come to us. Just like Jacob has this realization that something really wonderful, but he, I think I, sl- I, think I slept through it. <laughs> I think I slept through the bed. If I knew God was going to come, I would have stayed awake all night, you see. God was in this place, he says, and I, I didn't know it. A careful looking at Genesis 28 and 16, you will see the word I used twice. I, I did, it's a double nominative. Why? They have often pondered, why does it say I twice? God was in this place, and I, I did not know it. That's one of the reasons why we sometimes miss when God is attempting to communicate to us. There is too much I there, too much ego. We are concerned about ourselves too much and not attuned. Have you ever been singing merrily along, either in your house or somewhere, and you think nobody's listening? And you're just going away, singing like crazy, and you realize, oh, somebody's listening, and you stop immediately because, oh, somebody's listening, and I didn't realize it. Or perhaps you're going along, and you don't realize, and someone's videotaping you. And you see a camera, and you think, oh, and immediately you clam up, and you get so self-conscious, and you think, oh, turn that thing off, because we're too conscious of ourselves. It happens all the time, doesn't it? Uh, It happens with the things of the Spirit, too. I remember I was in a meeting. And I was moved by the Spirit of God. Uh, I was new in the faith. In fact, I was so brand new, I, I was really new. 
And I was in the front, and there was this guy speaking up front. It was a fantastic message, the best sermon talk I ever heard. And he, there was an appeal going on. And this lady was up front singing, The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? Oh, I'm thinking, I should do that. I want to do that, yes. But then I turned around and I saw that there was thousands of people out there. And I thought, whoa, I'm way too embarrassed to stand up in front of all these people. I'm not going to do that because I am embarrassed. What will they think of me? Maybe you've had, the, and I didn't do it. I waited till the next day and the Spirit prompted me the next day. But have you ever had the occasion when you're moved? Something takes place. It could be in a worship setting. could be privately. And maybe you are moved in a deep, deep way, but you are fearful maybe to say something about it because of others, what they might think or say about you. You don't want to be too religious or too much. So your ego gets in the way. It was Mark Twain who said, Sing like nobody's listening. Dance like nobody's watching. It happens too when we dance too. That's a reason we don't, for among other reasons. Because people will be watching us. So Mark Twain comes along and he says, Sing like nobody's listening. Dance like nobody's watching. And love as if you've never been hurt. Then you will experience truly heaven on earth. There's too much ego, so our ego gets in the way, oftentimes. And we are prevented from the experiencing the blessing of God. Um, what was this great message that God gave in that dream to this man? The message he gave to this son of Abraham is the same message the Lord gives to you and to me, sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, in Christ, are children of the promise. Here is the message that comes to Jacob in the midst of his lying, in the midst of his deceit, his treachery, his guilt. Surely you understand what that feels like. Every one of us have been to the place where we feel isolated from God because of what we have done. When our conscience gets a hold of us and we are feeling unworthy, we are feeling far away, we are feeling that even God in this heaven couldn't love me, not after what I've done, not after what I said, not after the way I acted. This is the way Jacob is feeling out there in the wilderness. This is the way... Many of us have felt, or will feel, or maybe feel today, very far and distant. And the word of the Lord comes to him as it comes to us. I am the Lord your God. I will not leave you. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken. The Lord is not finished with him, or with you, or with me. What's the most precious prayer any of us pray? For ourselves or for our loved ones? I bet you it's this. Lord, be with me. Lord, be with them. Isn't that the prayer we often pray? Lord, be with me. Help me here. It is the prayer we pray. Be with me. 
I'll not abandon you, so says the Lord. The reason the Lord did not abandon him is the same reason the Lord will never ever abandon you and me. It is because another has taken upon himself the punishment for your sins and for my sins, for your guilt and my guilt and our treachery and our lies and our deceit and our colluding outside of the will of God. We have done it times without number. But the beautiful teaching of the gospel is that there is one who has borne the sins of the world, the guilt of humanity. Christ on the cross was treated as if he was the one who lied, as if he was the one who stole the blessing, as if he was the one who did everything all of us have done and more. He was treated as the devil incarnate when he bears the sin and the guilt of the world upon the cross of Calvary, it's as if he is being treated like you, like me, like Ben Laden, like Saddam Hussein, like Adolf Hitler, like Nero, like all these villains of all of history. It's all bundled up in one horrible, ugly mass, and it's thrown on the shoulders of Christ. And he cries out, my God, why have you separated yourself from me? The father separated himself from the son because he was bearing the guilt of the world. And because Jesus bore that guilt, we need not bear it anymore. He says, even though you've screwed up, even though you've messed up, we could take an offering. And if we were to put our guilt and all our things we've messed up, not only what we've done, but what we've thought, what we would have liked to do except for the opportunity never presented itself, we would have a giant offering of horrible yuck. That is what was thrown upon the Lord Christ. And because he bore that, we need not bear it. And so the good news comes to us once again today. It comes to you, it comes to me. I, the Lord God, will not leave you. Can you believe that? Will you dare to believe that today? I, the Lord God, will not leave you. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always. I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken. The Lord's not through with any of us yet. And the good news is that uh, we can rest in that. You are not where you ought to be. It's kind of like we say in the in the twelve step community. I may not be where I want to get I may not be where I want to be, but I'm not where I was either. You're not where you were, maybe you're not where you need to be, but you are here and you are in God's care right now, right now. And that is enough today to rest in that assurance. That's good news. So I commit you as I commit myself into the loving care of a God who is breaking through all over the place to to break into our lives much like a beam of sunlight, and then we see it. Whoa, God is here. God is there. He is in so many things, seeking to do His way and His will. God's peace be upon us, one and all. Let us uh, pray together. So, Heavenly Father, we acknowledge Your love to us. We acknowledge that uh, we have fallen short like Jacob of old, but we acknowledge also the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus who has promised 
the assurance of faith and acceptance to people like us. So, we give ourselves to you, confessing our sins, acknowledging that we have fallen short, seeking forgiveness and strength and the blessing of heaven. In the name of the one who has loved us, who loves us now, and who has given himself for us, the Lord Christ. Amen.